2018, two events happened. One, the moon had just risen off the starboard bow, and two, an angry Mrs. Lois Prysock of Eugene, Oregon, had just lost $50 in dimes to the ship's slot machines. 10.20 p.m., Mrs. Lois Prysock had lost everything. and welcome back to Who and Company. My name is Brent. And I'm Drew, and although Halloween is still a month away, we thought we'd start a little early with this month's guest, a fellow podcaster and horror movie aficionado, Mr. Paul Heath. Since Paul's a member of the Pharos Project, of course we'll be discussing Doctor Who a bit, but he also has a love for horror, as evidenced by his other podcast, Hammered Horror. So it makes a lot of sense that he's chosen one of his all-time favorite shows to share with us. A TV horror cult classic series from the 1970s called Kolchak the Night Stalker. And it all starts right after this. On our Skype, he is the wing commander of Brown Squadron, oh. the puncher of the puncher of bunnies, <laughs> the facilitator that frequently takes it too far on the Ferris Project, the ham that puts the hammered in hammered horror, and he is our guest this month. Please welcome Paul Heath. Paul, welcome to Who and Company. Well, thank you very much for that auspicious introduction there. I'll have <laughs> you know, I frequently don't take it far enough. <laughs> or that's what my doctor tells me anyway. Err. So how's it going? Good, good. I'm talking to you, fine gentlemen. I have a beer, and we're going to discuss some fun things. Fun things are fun to discuss, aren't they? Occasionally. Occasionally. It, it depends Occasion- on the beer. Welcome to the Occasional Fun Podcast. <laughs> so, uh, when did you get into podcasting, and how did that come about? Oh, God. Um... Oh, this is a tale I've told before, but I shall tell it again because it's um, fun to tell. It it was um, I when I was still living in England. Oh, eight 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 summers ago, um, I knew this very tall Canadian chap, and uh, we used to drink uh, at a pub called the Fitzroy Tavern, which was the first. Thursday of every month was like a Doctor Who night, and Moffat used to turn up, and all sorts of people, and we could we could bask in their in their greatness. And uh, we were there one night, and this tall Canadian chap said, "Oh, I do a podcast." I don't know if you ever heard it. I said, "I don't know what podcasts are." He said, "I do this one called Radio Free Scarrow." <laughs> so I thought, oh, I might check it out. Probably won't. Can't promise anything. And over the course of the next couple of months. It seemed that everyone I met in the Fitzroy had a podcast about Doctor Who. <laughs> Until it became that my friend Chris and I were the only ones that didn't. So basically, we, we did it so we could carry on joining in conversations at the Fitzroy. 
uh, we, we decided to do our own podcast. That's more or less how we got into it. That's cool. So, Stephen, I guess you're talking about. Or Chris, Yes, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're both, they're both tall Canadians. They are, yeah. Yeah, but, but uh, Stephen isn't freakishly tall. <laughs> Whereas Chris is, is a bit of a freak, let's, let's face it, yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is, of course, uh, a, a podcast where we bring on Doctor Who fans, and you are presumably a Doctor Who fan, among other things. Uh, so before we start getting into the nitty-gritty and the heart of the matter, uh, let's talk about Doctor Who. because mm-hmm. So you have been a podcaster for Doctor Who over, say, the last eight or so years, uh, but how long have you been a Doctor Who fan? Um. More or less since birth, really. Uh, I was brainwashed by my mother into watching Doctor Who. Um, literally br- brainwashed. It's why I love Doctor Who. It's why I love um, uh, sci-fi and horror. And also why I have to assassinate the British Prime Minister if ever anyone phones me up and says, pump a nickel three times. Um, <laughs> but single-parent family, my dad did a runner. And... Uh, Kind of mum was left with me, and if she wanted to watch something, I kind of had to be there. So I was plonked in front of the TV for, God, probably as soon as I was born. I literally popped out, and mum put me in front of the telly and said, now shut up, it's Saturday, it's like 5.30, we're going to watch Doctor Who. So I, I can't remember, for the life of me, the first episode I saw. It just, it's always been there, you know? Uh yeah, it's, 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 yeah, she used to, she used to read Target books at work, yeah, um, bring them home, and then read them to me again, so it, it's entirely my mum's fault, at least that's what I'm telling the police when they eventually get me for assassinating the Prime Minister. <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous, I, uh, to have that so early in your life. Would you say that Doctor Who then is the catalyst for your other interests as far as sci-fi and horror? Was that sort of like, that's the beginning of it? Or the watching telly is the beginning of your interest in sci-fi and, and, and genre fiction on, on the television? I don't know, because I, like, I was born in 73. Uh, so A, that makes me old. B, it also makes me the perfect age for Star Wars. And so, yeah, literally as long as I can remember back, I I was watching Doctor Who. I loved Doctor Who. I had Doctor Who toys and stuff, and I had Star Wars toys. Uh, anything that came along, like uh, I remember the Buck Rogers series and Battlestar Galactica and things like that. In Britain, they were released on the big screen, like the two-part um, pilots and stuff like that. I remember going to see those. I, I think one of my earliest memories is before Star Wars came out in Britain, because there was like a six months gap between the US getting it and then it came out in Britain. My mum took me to the Science Museum in London because they had a Star Wars exhibition. So I got to see like the Land Speeder and R2, C3PO, Vader, all the costumes and everything before I'd even seen the film. Oh, um, wow. My my mum had read about it in the paper that this film is supposed to be huge in America. And she's like, right, we're going to go and see it. But first... I'm going to show him all the costumes. So, yeah, it, it's it's hard to pinpoint when I became interested in all this. I uh, The horror as well. I mean, God, I, I think I was five when I first saw uh, Romero's Dawn of the Dead. 
I vividly remember that because it terrified me. Um, yeah, it just it kind of goes all the way back, you know. That's I can't impressive. I can't put any sort of timeline on it. It's not it's not impressive. That's negligent, surely. <laughs> Five year old watching Dawn of the Dead. I was terrified of Harry Christians for years. <laughs> Well, you know, different times, certainly. I, I probably <laughs> wouldn't I wouldn't plop a five-year-old in front of the Dawn of the Dead now because I have no five-year-olds of my own. I would have to have borrowed someone else's five-year-old, and that <laughs> is negligent to do so. Um, but at the it's time... It's probably, probably worth doing. I might pay someone oh. to do that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Traumatized yeah. a, ch- a child for, like, $500. I'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a children's librarian. I have ac- plenty of access to the children. And in fact, Dawn of the Dead is in my car right now. I, you know what? Who knows what's going to happen on Monday? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think the three of us are all of a certain age where movies at that time were not quite so... They didn't tiptoe around gore and horror and profanity for younger audiences. We did watch uh, films that... You know, in this day and age, you wouldn't take a young child to. Um, I mean, I remember watching American Werewolf in London uh, at one of my friend's fifth birthday parties. We watched Excalibur during the day, the Borman Excalibur, and then, and then uh, we later that evening at the sleepover, we watched American Werewolf in London and an episode, my very first episode of the Fraggle Rock. <laughs> what, and, what a and mixture! It was, and it was Fraggle Rock that scared me more than the other two. <laughs> Just you mentioned American Werewolf there. I got to tell you this: uh, American Werewolf in London was how my mum did the Birds and the Bees talk to me. Really? We were we were sitting watching it one night, and it must have been on Pirate because it it hadn't been out that long. We were sitting watching it, and it got to the scene in the porno theater. Yes. And my mum paused the video, looked at me, and said, "Do you know what they're doing?" I said, "Yeah." All right, and, and put it, press play. And that, was, that was the birds and the bees for me. American and, Wolf in London. And what was what was the name of the porno movie that they were watching? <laughs> See you next Wednesday. See you next Wednesday. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well done. You're in good company. <laughs> so, Paul, uh, is there a particular doctor that's your favorite? Oh, good lord! Oh, that's a hard question. That's that's a t- how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> All right, let's start with this. Who was your first doctor? Probably Pertwee, but the first one I remember watching was Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, again, going back to my mum, Target novelization. She had the novelization of Deadly Assassin. And I, mem- I remember one night she left that on my bedside table. If you've ever seen the cover of that, it's, <laughs> it's like... the master, right? It's the, yeah. the skeletal master? Oh, <laughs> nightmares I had. <laughs> that because that's like coincided with uh, creep show, and we'd recently watched uh, Salem's Lot. So mm. I had Salem's Lot, people clawing at the window. Creep okay. show, there was the creeper appears at the window, and then the master's sitting there. And I have n- literally, I have never slept with my curtains open since that night. <laughs> Didn't get a wink. So back to uh, the uh, we've we've let you stall long enough. And your Thank favorite you. doctor is Matt Smith. Okay. I'm going to go with Matt Smith. Uh, if you'd asked me this like 10 years ago, I would have said Tom. Um, I got a really soft spot for Peter Davison as well, because that's I think that's when my Doctor Who fandom really hit its stride, was during that era, uh, around the 20th anniversary sort of thing. Um, 
But Matt Smith, for me, I got terribly bored with Mr. Tennant after a while. I, I think, uh, I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I think the character turned into a bit of a, a bit too godlike for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they changed to Matt, it was such a difference. I know, yeah, he's another young, good-looking doctor, but his performance was so awkward and so alien. And literally, if you watch him, every little thing he does is is done with a purpose. There's nothing accidental about the, the way he is in, as the doctor. And that reignited my interest in the new series. So much so that we started a podcast. Um, but yeah, I think Matt Smith just does it for me. I mean, the, the way he kind of... My other personal favourite, other than Tom, is uh, Pat Troughton. I'm, I'm so sad we haven't got more of the Troughton era surviving. But he kind of... He's got that playfulness about him, but he can turn on a dime. Matt Smith, you know, the, the bit in um, Good Man Goes to War where he has, he has a pop at the general, you know, uh, Colonel Runaway, that bit. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just think it's such a nuanced performance. And I, to me, Capaldi was a, was a bit of a letdown until like the last series where I think he really nailed it. Um, because it was such a tonal shift from someone who, if they popped up in the TARDIS and said, come along, I'd, I'd be, yeah, fine, I'll go with you. Whereas if Capaldi turned up, I'd be, hang on, mate. Now nah, you're all right, I'll stay here, thanks very much. Because you, <laughs> you, I just can not with you. <laughs> so, yeah, Matt Smith for me. Cool. Well, I know your uh, your other love is, is horror, and you mm. have another podcast called Hammered Horror. Yeah. So uh, what's going on with that? Any future plans for that show? We are bringing it back, yeah. Um Yay. We're bringing it back. Um, unfortunately, uh, oh, you're getting exclusive here. Mr. Ash won't be involved with the podcast from now on. Uh, he's uh-huh. got um, other things that he's, he's a very talented fellow and he's, his time is taken up elsewhere. Um, but myself and a foul mouthed northern monkey named Martin, <laughs> who lives in LA with me, uh, we're going to be taking it over. Uh, we can actually announce the first film if you'd like. Yes, please. Sure. It will be uh, 1982's classic Pieces, if you've ever seen that. Pieces. That sounds familiar. Honestly, guys, seek it out. It's one of the funniest films you will ever see, unintentionally <laughs> funny films you'll ever see in your life. But hopefully that will be coming back within the next month or so. Certainly in time for Halloween. I did a... Uh... A, a kind of scanned review of Hammered Horror over the last month or so. And of course, I, I don't like being spoiled, especially for horror movies, so I only listen to movies I've already seen. But <laughs> it was really nice to see that you had covered at least three of my favorites, which is, of course, Tremors mm. uh, and The Thing and uh, oh. Horror Express, which is essentially just The Thing on a, the thing on a train. The Thing on a train, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah it's, it's kind of... Um... It's I, I I can't imagine doing a podcast for something I didn't love. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. for me to do a Doctor Who and a horror podcast, yeah, it was it was written in the stars or in my mum's plan for me when she was brainwashing all those years ago. 
Um, I saw you posted last night about a was it like a VHS horror store? Yeah, it was funny. We we found it. Um, it's literally just around the corner from from us. Uh, me and Martin, where we work. Uh, we went in our lunch break. It's um, uh, uh, like an, they're, they're calling it an art installation. It's this janky little store in the middle of like Burbank that's got. Uh, I think what it's, I can figure what it's called like a mystery store or something like. That. It's just a curiosity shop sort of thing. Uh-huh. And in the back, they've got this art installation. And basically, you walk into the door, and you're transported back to a VHS rental shop uh, from like the early nineties. And it's just amazing. <laughs> you know, the only thing they say is you can't touch the tapes. So you're just walking along, looking at, and it's all horror movies. So mm. these go- the gorgeous artwork that used to go on like horror movie uh, rental cassettes uh, that nine times out of ten had nothing to do with the film. But it was just so great, you had to watch that movie. Uh, it's all of that everywhere. There's a Splat House um, arcade machine in there that's free to play. Oh, that's uh, so cool. I, had a, I had a good go at that. Um, I saw you posted one was uh, Halloween 3 Part 2. Was that real? No. no. Oh, okay. There, there, I, saw there, it. I, was like, I started looking it up. I was like, how did this get past me? <laughs> there, were, there were a few. <laughs> yeah, I think that fooled, fooled a few people, actually. Uh, there are a few tapes in there that are made up. That are just invented. They've they've asked to like justify calling it an art exhibition. They've asked um, a bunch of local artists to make up cassette covers, and I think that was one of them. But I would seriously watch the hell out of that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're in L.A. Uh, or at least in that area. I'm sure you could find some folks to just help you make it. Oh yeah, they, they hang around on street corners with cameras, saying yeah. like big signs saying like. Film crew, four hundred dollars a day. Wow! Yeah, people come come by with pickups, and they all get in the back, and yeah, it's great. <laughs> no, it's nothing like that at all. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, <laughs> you've you've changed slightly the way I was thinking of uh, a <laughs> town, but you know, I, I can oh, actually. No, you, everyone's got it, their equipment. Looking forlorn. Oh, literally everyone I met here since I moved here is writing a script. Yeah. So yeah, everyone is like, I'm writing a script. I'm doing, I'm writing this. And that. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm an ideas man. I tell someone else what to do, and he writes the script. So, what is it about horror that you think appeals to you? Same thing as science fiction. I think um, it's probably one of the purest forms of escapism. It's the fantastic, you know. It's the beyond the mundane uh, aspect of it that I love. Um, plus I'm, I, I'm big into ghosts and that sort of thing. I've, I've had my experiences with ghosts. Um, and so it kind of, I don't know, it kind of fuels that side of the brain that, 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 that likes to imagine, likes to do something. Whereas something like, I don't know, as good as it is, like something like the West Wing, uh, that's, very hopeful if you watch that at the moment, but um, it's not quite the same thing. It's not as, as so far removed from real life that you just you can lose yourself in it. That's what I love about that sort of thing. Oh, pieces! Oh, <laughs> sorry, I was looking it up while you were. <laughs> gotcha. You don't have to go to Texas to, for a chainsaw massacre. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, yeah, that is an unforgettable. 
video cover. <laughs> <laughs> it looks oh. like they're being cut up by the shadow. Uh Basically, yeah, it's an unforgettable film. Seriously, watch it over this weekend. You you will thank me. Yeah, but my wife will not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, our listening audience might not. What is your favorite horror film? Ha! It's um, Gone with the Wind. Yes, <laughs> a terrifying film. Scared uh, the hell out of me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I still have nightmares. <sighs> yeah, frankly, my dear. I couldn't watch that again. No. Um, no, it's, it's John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I, I kind of... I feel, feel a bit off saying that because it's like an all-male cast. But honestly, that's not why I like it. <laughs> I, it's a film I have watched so many times. And yet, every time I watch it, there's a tiny little bit I notice for the first time. Yeah. It's so well put together. Uh Probably because Carpenter had like a year to prepare for this. Um, so intricately plotted, so brilliantly shot. The, the claustrophobia of it, uh, the atmosphere that it creates, I think is it's unparalleled, in my opinion. I think it's a masterpiece and one of the few films that I cannot pick a hole in. Yeah, I'm, I, uh, yeah I, I can't argue with that. That is hands down my favorite horror film and in my top five favorite films of all time. Um, there's a board game of it coming out uh, I know. next month. And uh, I- I'm so excited. I'm so mm. excited. I had someone go uh, who went to Gen Con where they premiered it mm. and sign up for the demonstrations just so I could get some other promo materials. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's a excellent film. Oh my, just this last year, uh, Actually, it was exactly a year ago. Uh, Scream Factory did a really nice 2K uh, restoration Blu-ray with some really good extras on it. Yes, I bought it. I do not have a Blu-ray player, but I I, I bought the Blu-ray. <laughs> so, in fact, I bought that. I, I bought a Blu-ray player so I could watch the thing. <clears throat> I bought that version, uh, and then a few months after that, Arrow UK announced they were doing a 4K restoration, so I've pre-ordered that as well. Wow. I've wow. bought this movie so many times, and I will carry on buying it whenever they bring it out again. Yeah, it's just a brilliant. And Kurt Russell, I mean, come on, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care who you are, you would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, Kurt Russell. Um, anytime you can get Kurt Russell or John Carpenter to do a, a commentary for a movie, uh, oh yeah, take advantage of it. Watch it. Listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. there's there is wisdom in their words. Yeah, I just picked up. Uh... Big Trouble in Little China on Blu-ray a couple weeks ago, oh, and they do a commentary cool. on that. I bet it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Paul, I thought about you the other day. I was I saw something online for the thing. It's a VHS tape that somebody has taken, and it has uh, the picture of the thing in the middle. It's a lamp, yeah? It's a lamp, yeah, it's yeah, blue. Yeah, I've seen it. I want oh, okay. it. It's out of stock oh, yeah. at the moment. So I've... Oh, is it? Thank, <laughs> thank you for reminding me of that. Cheers, mate. Yeah, it was that. Uh, they had a Halloween that was orange, and uh, it's mm. really cool. That's cool. Well, I saw your your uh, your blinking lapel pin. Oh uh, yeah, I couldn't resist that. Yeah, nope. I've uh, they're out of that one too, and uh, but I've got it on on order for when it becomes available. Hey, let's uh, talk a little bit about horror, but not in this sense in uh, movies, but in television. Um, as our hopefully returning listeners know, uh, what we like to do is we like to bring our Doctor Who friends onto the program, but we also know that 
Doctor Who is not the end-all, be-all of our fandom. Um, so we like to bring a guest on to talk about a television program that is not Doctor Who. So, Paul, would you please tell us what show we're going to be talking about today and why you selected it? Of course. Um, well, when you approached me uh, a couple of months ago, uh, thank you for doing that, uh, you asked me um, to select uh, a British show uh, that I also liked, as well as Doctor Who. So I almost instantly came back at you with an American show from the mid-70s, uh, and it's Kolchak, The Night Stalker. Uh, this is a show that absolutely talks to me. It, 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 this is one of those shows that feels like it was made for me. Um, it, it's the brilliant Dar- Darren McGavin uh, as intrepid investigative journalist... I'll say that again. Investigative... Um, Carl Kolchak, uh, who incredibly uh, encounters the supernatural and all their goings-on uh, on a weekly basis. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful show. It's a show that inspired The X-Files. Uh, um, and, yeah, this is very close to my heart. little bit of information here. I met my wife uh, at a Doctor Who convention because of a... Doctor Who, and B, because her friend arrived in a lemon yellow Mustang convertible, like oh, 67, exactly the same car that Kolchak drives. And I noticed it pulling up, thought to myself, oh, Kolchak's here, and went to talk to her later on because of that car. So I, I, I would not have met my wife if it weren't for this series. Did they have any inkling of the show? Or did you come up and start talking about Kolchak and just were you met with a blank blank gaze or no idea about Kolchak? It, yeah. <laughs> um, I just started talking about Mustangs. Oh. I thought that was probably the way to go in there, you know. <laughs> Even though we were at Doctor Who convention, you know, so anything goes. But rather than going and say, mm, you know, this janky nineteen seventies uh, uh, TV series called Kolchak, I went, hey, nice Mustang. I thought that was probably a better approach. <laughs> How did you find the show? How did you discover it? Um, the way I discover most things, um, post uh, mother's influence, which is through the the, uh, the veil of alcohol. Colchak <laughs> uh, started being repeated on the BBC, uh, probably. Oh, mid-90s, I'd say. And it was, I think it was BBC Two, around about 1.30am, they were showing it. And which was coincidentally the time that I would normally, on a Saturday night, stumble in from the pub, clutching a barely edible uh, kebab. Uh, (laughs) And I remember dumping myself in front of the telly one night, switching it on, and there was this show. And it's actually one of the episodes we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and just literally drinking it up. Uh, so I, I set the, the TV, the video or whatever, to record the rest of the run. Um, because the BBC liked to shove things around the schedules, I caught maybe two episodes. And then just like the rest of the recordings were like snooker or something. So, uh, yeah, I, I just kind of like randomly encountered it. And... Didn't get to see it again until 
um, God, it was about the early 2000s. Uh, there's a magazine in England called SFX. Yes. It's quite quite a well-known magazine. Um, around the same kind of time the X-Files really hit big, it became known that Kolchak really inspired Chris Carter, who created the X-Files. Um, so SFX did a special offer where they would send you for like 20 quid or whatever, two VHS tapes, and they were the first two uh, Kolchak movies. So I sent away from them, saw the movies, instantly wanted to see more, and then had to wait about five years for it to come out on a DVD box set in the US, which I then ordered to England because it wasn't coming out there. (laughs) Which is actually still in England, which really annoyed me when I was trying to watch two episodes of this last night. And I had to pay two dollars a pop on Amazon. So it was late '92 for me, and uh, the Sci-Fi Channel had just started over here, and I was obsessed. I watched that channel all the time, and so every night in October they would show two classic horror movies, like classic movies like a drunk Harry Oliver Reed in a tower type of movie. Oh, Curse uh, of the Werewolf. That's right, uh, <laughs> and some cool shows like uh, The Invaders, Auto Man. Manimal. Manimal. Manimal? Manimal. And this show, and, and I liked it, but I never really took the time to get into it until this past week, but it's it's really, really good. I, I love the way that it fuses horror and comedy without being silly, and it has uh, has like a really film noir detective vibe to it, mm. and and the constant use of freeze frames during anything horrific was very effective. <laughs> Freeze frames used to scare the crap out of me as a kid. I don't know why, <laughs> but they did. And, and like, uh, it's a very good supporting cast, too. Like, Vincenzo and uh, mm. Uptight Updike. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and hey, Coltrack is dressed as the Seventh Doctor, so you can't go wrong there. Yeah, but, almost. <laughs> almost, it's, yeah. It's kind of like they... What you said it was interesting about, about the mix between comedy and horror. Because it's kind of like they took... Um, like a sitcom or a light-hearted show, the characters out of that, and drop them in the middle of a horror movie. That's kind of how it feels. It's like Lou Grant does horror. No, it's 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 essentially Columbo meets Dark Shadows uh, in many ways too, because there's such a crime journalism aspect to the program. Mm. So, yeah, I thirty years ago, thirty or more years ago, um, I was on a road trip with my mom. And, uh, you know, I think it was like 10 or more hours drive. And we stopped off at a Goodwill to pick up a book, just anything that would keep my attention. And I picked up this um, omnibus guide to sci-fi horror TV shows. And it essentially listed the show, talked a little bit about it, and then it listed every episode with a one or two sentence descriptor of it. And I read that cover to cover um, 10 hours to the destination and then 10 hours back and Night Stalker was part of that and it had the creepy white mask um, from Night Strangler uh, mm. on it and it actually just those pictures for a probably 9 or 10 year old or whatever it was um, terrified me but as soon as I could find a copy of Night Stalker on VHS which is probably would have been 2 or 3 years later I did, and I watched it, and I remember really enjoying it as a kid, and I don't think I saw it again until 2005, uh, where it became available via, I don't know, maybe maybe even YouTube, one of the first things I ever watched on YouTube. 
Um, but I, I've been kind of coming back to that well multiple times because it is, um, I think, Paul, you and I might have been cut from the same mold in many ways. Uh, this is sort of like kind of a perfect program for me as well. Mm. Um, because I, you selected two episodes for us to talk about. I watched those two episodes and then I just kept watching. Uh, and I've been watching <clears throat> at least one or two episodes of Kolchak every, every day for the last week. Um, just kind of reviewing and, and there, there's obviously ones I had missed uh, uh, in my first run through that I, I've really been enjoying them. I've watched oh, them multiple times. Yeah. In fact, uh, I have a, a running uh, bit with my wife where she will watch anything uh, I want to watch as long as I, I, I massage her while we're doing it, you know, like like work on her back, back and shoulders. And uh, I thought, okay, listen, we're going to watch a YouTube copy of a 1970s horror drama television show. And you could just, you could see her kind of die a little inside. <laughs> and, um, I put it on, and at the end of it, she goes, "Yeah, I would absolutely watch another one of those." And like, she laughed a lot. In fact, in fact, she wanted to find out how other ones ended. Uh, she got into it, and I think we're we're probably going to watch another one later on tonight. That's so, brilliant. That is so cool. Yeah, but we're a Buffy ha- we're a Buffy household, and in the same oh, yeah. way that Kolchak inspired shows like The X Files, you can see Kolchak's influence on other. I don't want to say light horror. But, you know, in the same way that Buffy mixes horror and drama and comedy, yeah, you, the DNA of Kolchak is in there. I mean, it's, it's Absolutely, undeniable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Well, I, I honestly don't think Buffy would have, would have existed without Kolchak. No. Because Kolchak, yeah, it wasn't successful. It only ran for one series and Darren McGavin uh, kind of got bored with it. Um, he, he was doing, uh, being a producer as well, as uh, starring in it. Um, and he was actually being the producer, not like when a celebrity is a producer of a series they're in nowadays, which is just they, they get their name in the credits so they earn more money. They're not actually doing the job. Uh, he was actually doing it and he, he got very tired with it. He got annoyed uh, with the Monster of the Week format, which I think was absolutely perfect, but. And he actually asked to be let out of his contract before they finished filming the entire series. Yeah, the three episodes they had written that they'd never filmed, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. If that hadn't happened, if, if this series hadn't, hadn't existed, you wouldn't have got the stuff that paved the way for where we are now, where we've got, like, um, two of the biggest shows on TV, uh, like uh, Walking Dead and American Horror Story. Yeah, This would never have happened if it weren't for Kolchak. Supernatural as well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, 13 years that, that's coming up to, isn't it? It's yeah. ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the X-Files wouldn't have happened. And the X-Files really is what opened the gates to Buffy and like Supernatural, that sort of thing. Um, so you can, you can really track all the big horror shows that are on now. And there are a lot of them. Over the last few years, there have been so many. And not all of them are great, but some of them are good. But you can more or less track where they come from right back to Kolchak. This was a very important moment in TV history. Uh, and literally so, because if I'm not mistaken, the Kolchak, the Night Stalker, the 1972 film, had mm-hmm. the highest rating share of any television movie that had ever been on TV to date when it aired yeah. in 72. I yeah, mean, absolutely right. 50, 54 
share. I mean, that's nuts that mm. that many people were watching this show. Um, and I shouldn't say it's nuts. Maybe maybe I should say it's nuts that people loved it because or, sorry, I'm gonna completely backtrack. It's nuts that that many people watched it, but it's not nuts that people liked it because it is the pilot, a brilliant episode of television. And Mm. even though I knew the plot, I knew how it ended, I knew the action, I still, you know, maybe haven't seen it in five years, was still riveted when I rewatched it a month ago uh, because the ending itself is unlike anything you see in television. And the fact that it came out in 72 is mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they really took a chance on this because it, it was uh, Jeff Rice's novel um, that it was based on was unpublished at the time. Uh, I think it was Richard Matheson, the late great Richard Matheson, um, created a screenplay from this unpublished novel. And like you say, it blew the doors off. It really did uh, with regard to the TV figures it got. Uh, so much so that... Um, uh, the novel was released. That was a huge hit. Jeff Rice had no plans to do any more. Um, but then the TV uh, network said, now we want another one, please. <laughs> so they got Richard Matheson to write the script for the second of uh, the TV movies, which Jeff Rice then uh, translated into a novel. So it went from novel to TV script, TV script to novel. Yeah, that's not something that happens often. No, no. It, it, it just it boggles my mind that it didn't last longer as a TV show. Well, I can't imagine what happened between 72 and 75 when this was broadcast. Well, let's let's talk about that because I know we're going to get into more details about two specific episodes. Mm. But um, there's a lot that this show had going for it. But there's also a lot that it had going against it. And one of them is, you know, when you're a groundbreaking program like it is, this is a show that sort of tried to legitimatize horror in a way that only Dark Shadows had done a few years before that. And Dark Shadows is a very different kind of show. Mm -hmm. So when you have something like a show that is um, a comedy horror suspense right you know so some of these stories are certainly more crime than horror more suspense than horror and then you have some that are just out and out horror all of them with a a, you know a tinge of comedy in the lighter moments um but looking at that it shouldn't have worked uh there's a lot writing against it just from the fact that audiences you didn't have a built-in audience the way that any horror show that comes out now, people are like, well, I like these 27 horror shows that are already on. I'll give this one a shot. This one is something brand new. Um, And like you said, it didn't even last a full season, right? Mm. So he, you know, your your main star, okay, let's just say the only star, uh, (laughs) even though though, um, Vincenzo, which is played by Simon... Oakland. Oakland, yeah. Um, he's the only other... I mean, you've got um, uh, 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 Updike, right? Updike, Updike. He's in there, but he's he's not... He He's so... I don't think he's actually a part of the resolution of any story. He's just a character that's there. Darren McFadden carries this entire program. Yeah, it, which it's kind of like... If, if you watch um, a portmanteau movie, like going back to... The days when the Peter Cushing, um, I can't remember the name of the firm. Right? It's going to kill me now. 
uh, not Hammer, the other one. They used to make a lot of uh, portmanteau movies. Uh, and anthology movies that we still get today, horror anthology movies. They always have these little stories, um, and they're connected. In between every story, there's like a kind of frame. That, uh, it starts off with the frame. You go into the first story. There's a bit more of the frame story. That's what the surrounding characters do for the Kolchak series. It's like an anthology show. So you get a little bit of these familiar characters and then you're plunged into this new Monster of the Week horror story. And then at the end, hey, here's a little bit more of these characters. So familiar, unfamiliar, then familiar. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a brilliant formula for doing that, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't get why it wasn't more successful. See, I have a guess. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> I have a guess. I, well, see, uh, the uh, the first two movies, I, I didn't know this till I started watching it the other day. I saw Dan Curtis's name on there. Mm. And I was like, hey, that's the guy that, that did Dark Shadows. And, and this was maybe a year after Dark Shadows ended. They had already done two movies also. Mm. And, and so those first two pilots that were done by him are a bit more serious. Yeah. And and uh, maybe that's why. And and I know they changed over to Universal when they did the TV show, also. Yeah. Because they they couldn't use all the characters, but it wasn't that different. <laughs> well, it's hard to compare the TV show to the movies when you have a Richard Matheson script. Um, mm. That there's so much that they were aping in the TV show, but one of the things that the movies had too is had more of a supporting cast, um, and. Sadly, I think one of the reasons that the show doesn't didn't survive quite as long is one burnout by um, McGavin because he's he is carrying the whole show. Yeah, There's absolutely. no one for him to bounce off of. Vincenzo's mm-hmm. only there for um, comedy ninety percent of the time and occasional um, character development. You know, I, I like their relationship, I, and I think there are oh, yeah. uh, there are a couple of episodes where. Um, I think like Primal Scream, there's one where Vincenzo genuinely seems concerned for Kolchak. He goes to the police department and actually like gets in Kolchak's corner and stands up for him, Mm. which you don't see very often. In fact, in that same story, you see him not as an editor, but sort of as a friend who's encouraging and just, you know, explains to Kolchak. And we we haven't really talked about who Kolchak is as a character too, Um, but we don't have enough to bounce Col- off of Kolchak. You know, the formula is Kolchak discovers something through a crime or a report. He goes to investigate it. Um, he kind of gets pushed around by the cops or Vincenzo or whoever the authority figure is, right? So he's definitely mm. kind of almost in a kind of class in that way. Um, he usually will recruit an accomplice, uh, accomplice who's usually a fairly attractive woman. Um, yeah. he finds he does someone. Well. Mm. Yes, he, well, no, but here's the thing is, does he ever have a re- romantic entanglement outside of the movies? I don't think so. I think that the no. movies are the only, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, he, it's very interesting to have a lead who is very charming and who encounters a lot of very attractive women, well, but the show is never about his romantic exploits, which I think is it, great. I, I, I think I might tell you now. I was planning to do this at the end, but I think I'm, if you'll permit me, I might, I might tell you about my theory about the Kolchak series. Please do. My theory is, and oh, 
it's ridiculous calling it a theory. It's it's because there's never going to be any more that will never be proven or otherwise, and it's complete balls. But uh, <laughs> the movies actually happened, I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, Kolchak the series, I think, is a just. A pack of lies. Yes, thank you. I was just about to say it. <laughs> I think it's Kolchak trying to re- uh, recapture former glories. If you look at the series, if you properly sit down and look at it, most episodes start with Kolchak narrating after the fact into his yes. tape recorder. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, any scene that Kolchak isn't in, i.e., the death scenes, it begins with Kolchak narrating them. Yes. He's the definition of, of the unreliable narrator. Yes. It ends with Kolchak saying, oh, you know, this wasn't printed and all stuff like that. And sometimes even looking directly into the camera. And if you listen to the theme tune, watch the theme tune as it plays out, the opening credits. It's all nice and jolly. He comes in, he's whistling, and it's all nice. Like string accompaniment uh, kicks in. As soon as Kolchak starts typing, the music goes It's like that is the when he types, that's the bad stuff. To me, it's all a pack of lies. It's Kolchak writing these stories that never happen. That is exactly so I I'm looking in my notes. Kolchak always narrates every TV episode after the fact. Yeah. So you know there's no danger for the main character. Not Absolutely, that, yeah. Not that you wouldn't, but but he obviously survives, so there's no reason to be afraid for him. Mm-hmm. And he's always... And there's always a reason for his story not to be published. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like... Absolutely. Th- and we... Actually, my wife and I were talking about this. It really does feel like he essentially is a failed reporter who... Yeah. The only hint at the time that people used to take him seriously, and now he's creating these stories because at the end of the movie, he's writing the book, right? Yeah, at absolutely. The end of the, yes. At the end of Night Stalker, <laughs> he's writing a giant book about it and going, one day you're going to read this. And uh, it feels like the rest of the show is just him creating a, a, essentially a pulp monster of the week. Now, I don't think that's what anyone intends, but it's no. very easy to interpret the story that way. And I think it's one of the reasons I, uh, I love the, I love the show. I love the show, but you can tell if you keep doing that, you're going to eventually run out of, of things to say. There's no modern through narrative, right? Like there's, there, it is just a, a bunch of stories. It, the, what is Chicago on a hellmouth? All of a sudden, why, <laughs> right. why right. does this guy, oh, there's a murder. Oh, okay, yeah, there's a murder. I'm going to reinvestigate. Okay, I'll cover this for the paper. And Oh, oh, it's supernatural. Obviously, it's supernatural. Why is no one seeing this except me? <laughs> well, no, no, but you can, you can interpret Kolchak as a, uh, a 50 minutes of a, a, a reporter being terrible at his job. Because every story starts off with, I was alerted to a police report, and Vincenzo hmm. sends him to do tell a story. And what does he always do but comes back with something supernatural? He doesn't. He never does his job, right? 
We see him take pictures. Oh, right. the camera yeah. broke. Oh, I wrote this story, but then this happened. It's essentially what is he doing in the interim when he's supposed to be writing the story that he was assigned? He is coming up with a monster story that no one's ever going to publish. And if you look look at this, the uh, the episodes, the budget for each episode gets smaller and smaller. Like when yes. you see the creature effects from the final one where he's in a fully lit set fighting a, a man in a rubber suit. Um, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I have to stop you there. I've never seen the last one. Okay, well, uh, then I I, uh, I recommend YouTube. Uh, and well, just... I, it was, when I first started watching it, when I got the DVDs, um, I got like three quarters of the way ser- through the series and Darren McGavin passed away. Oh, uh, wow. So, like, I, I do this. I'm stupid. If there's an old series and I really like it and I've never seen it before, I'll save the last episode. So that there's I always that one too. more. Oh, you do? I do that too. I do, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I so there, there's two of us in the world. <laughs> I watch everything I can. Uh, I watch everything else that they do, and I watch television interviews with them. So, so in preparation for our conversation today, I watched ten or eleven episodes. I watched his appearance on the X Files, um, mm. the Travelers episode. I watched. M- Ooh, two or three hours of interviews with him, uh, which n- he never once mentions the show. He he was he almost went out of his way to not talk about it. Um, when he when he was on the X Files, Chris Carter um, wanted him to play Kolchak, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, he did. And McGavin outright turned it down. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I think he was embarrassed by the show, um, possibly because he put so much of his own work into it. Um, well, maybe he's the one that stopped the series. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Well, I mean, they couldn't they couldn't continue the series if once he leaves, right? So, no. um, uh, well, you had selected two episodes for us mm-hmm. specifically to watch. So, yeah. you know, the assumption is that we ask each of our guests to choose at least two episodes that feel like either they epitomizes the the series or they just really like or they suggest that we watch. So, if we had both, obviously, um, both Brent and I were fans going into this interview. Um, but had we never seen Kolchak before and are only experienced with these two episodes, please explain the two episodes that you uh, you asked us to, to watch. Well, the first one is episode five, uh, simply titled The Werewolf, which is, it you know, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Um this is quintessential Kolchak because you make the point earlier on that he never does what he's assigned to do. In the beginning of this this episode, uh, Vincenzo is finally going on vacation. He's convinced the New York office of their paper to pay for him to go on a cruise, a singles cruise, uh, so he can do stories and interviews with the singles on this cruise. And it's brilliant. And it's a Christmas episode as well. Um yes. Immediately, the episode starts, uh, Vincenzo is told, you have to pick someone up at the airport, the, the accountants are coming in, um, you can't go. Kolchak is listening into this conversation on the phone, immediately starts sort of positioning himself so that he can take these tickets that Vincenzo's got to this cruise. Uh, he eventually does. Um, Vincenzo tells him, I want this story to be good, I want this story to be... Uh, Thorough, uh, basically, you've got my assignment now, don't let me down. Kolchak goes on this cruise and does 
absolutely nothing to fulfil, or it doesn't even attempt to fulfil his assignment. Immediately, he gets on the cruise, that night, bang, there's a werewolf loose. And he's immediately straight in the mix. I mean, he he, he hears a gunshot and he's off. (laughs) Uh, It it, literally, this is what Kolchak is all about. He's given the assignment, he ignores that. Oh, there's a supernatural creature. I'm going to go and investigate that. I, a couple of years ago, went on a quest to watch all the good werewolf movies. I, hmm. um, How long did that take you? About, what, five hours? Uh, <laughs> no, let's see. There's three, there's three good, well, four good werewolf movies, five good werewolf movies. So, you know, a little less than 10 hours. But I, I went up to Facebook and I said, listen, I, I want your suggestions for the best werewolf movies. I watched all five or six of them or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, they're... A werewolf movie is a tricky thing to do because it seems yeah. like it's very straightforward, right? You know, somebody mm. gets turned into a wolf. It is um, an allegory to the inner passions that we have inside of us, both good and bad. Usually involves if you overdo your your in your passions, someone close to you is going to get hurt. Um, and mm. usually those people are going to be the ones... Uh, or someone related to them are going to be the ones to take you down. That's essentially what a werewolf movie is uh, yeah. and has been since Larry Talbot. So, mm-hmm. you know, I see the title The Werewolf and I'm like, well, I got an idea of what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Except that you don't frequently see horror movies take place on singles cruises. Uh, and no. that setting, spends it, they spend such a setup to show us that the roommate, roommates, roommates on a singles cruise, I want you to to, to kind of take that idea in. This is a place where you are supposed to meet significant others, mm-hmm. maybe multiple significant others, and yet people, it seems like almost everybody, has roommates. That seems like a really bad business plan. Uh, unless, you're, unless you're selling like single socks. If you've got a, a, a joint business that just sells single socks, you're laughing at that, aren't you? Uh, it depends on what your definition of sock is. Is that some kind of slang that I'm... Uh, uh, <clears throat> no, I mean a single sock that you... Because they're, they're, every bloody uh, cabin is going to... On the door handle, there's going to be a yeah. sock. Oh, gotcha. Yeah? I see. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. W- uh, uh, not the most impressive werewolf special effects I've ever seen. Um, I, I, I would... Go as far as to say this isn't this isn't a werewolf. This no. is a wolf man. Yes, it is definitely Going a wolf man or Larry a weasel yeah. man. It, it feels very <laughs> like he's there's there's it's less wolf like uh, and certainly more uh, yeah yeah. I, I, I like the fact that in the in the, the the accounts of the attacks that we hear from the crew and from Kolchak himself, critically Kolchak. Um, I witnessed um, your crew members being torn limb from limb, uh, torn, literally ripped apart. All we ever see um, the wolfman in this, or I've taken to calling uh, Grumbles the parkour werewolf, uh, <laughs> all we ever see him do is hit people and throw them. Yes, it's very much shares, like shares, a wrestling match. Yeah, he shares one thing in, in common with the, the, the old book, the Lon Chaney Jr., Larry Talbot. He, he's very strangly. Yes. For a wolf, he's very strangly. You'd think he'd be ripping, but no, he likes to strangle this fella. So here's my here's my thinking on this. Uh, correct me if you think I am wrong. 
there was no prior to this episode, with the mm. exception of the original Wolfman, there was no good werewolf movies uh, that showed the really oh. good transformations that we have come to know. You know, so there's no Howling, American Werewolf in London. These are all 1981 uh, Wolfen. Uh, these those films almost all exclusively in 1981 mm-hmm. happened and it changes the way that we thought a wolf, a werewolf movie could be um, yeah. prior to that. It was all Wolfman kind of stuff. Uh, and so they didn't really have much to, they had a chance, right? They had a chance to really kind of break the mold and they kind of went with same old, same old. And it was, uh, yeah. So you, did you select this one because you like it or because you, don't like it, um, or no, mainly because I'm mad on werewolves. Oh, okay, good. Uh, good, good. So this is the one that really stuck out in my mind. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say good werewolf movie in between the Wolfman and this probably Curse of the Werewolf. Okay. Oliver Reed. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, the only transformation they could do was that. Um, I forget the technical term for it, where. Uh, they take a shot, move someone, put a load of makeup on him, take another shot. So it's like a transition sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, it's just basically putting hair on a fella. Yeah. <laughs> That's all they're doing. But I genuinely do like this episode. Uh, the concept of being on a cruise liner and there's a werewolf on there. Yes. Is very cool. I, I believe it's been done in a novel like in the last couple of years. I, I haven't read it, but... Just that idea is brilliant. And then you, you've got the anticipation after the first night, um, waiting for the next um, full moon to rise. You know, what are we going to do? And at one point, the captain says, can we outrun the full moon? I love stuff like that. That's brilliant great. idea. That, also, yeah. where do you get silver on a cruise ship? And it allows us to introduce to the, the, the gopher character... Uh, who is, I can get you anything, anything, you know, that kind yeah. of a, this is a guy who's obviously on a singles cruise is probably doing a lot of favors for a lot of folks. And yeah. the fact I was, that he I was gets... glad when he got killed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the solution for, I mean, like he builds a metal smelting factory in his yes. room. <laughs> yeah. Like... It's just brilliant. <laughs> But the other thing, like, like I said, all we ever see this this werewolf do, he, a lot of Parker is jumping over rails all the time. That's all he does. Yeah. And moaning, it's like the, he hasn't got a growl or anything. He just kind of <laughs> goes, oh, oh, traffic this morning. Oh, wow. It's, it's oh, it, for me, this, this is... This is what I live for, this kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It just no. fills me with absolute joy. And we also have Eric Braden from Escape from the Planet of the Apes and also Victor Newman on Young and the Restless playing a werewolf. You might think of seeking neuropsychiatric help. Now listen to me. I don't want to look at ink blots. I don't want to discuss my nightmares. I want to stop them now, today! Now, please, give me an injection of a of a painkiller. I can't give you any narcotics. Why can't you? Well, that's 
procedure with using narcotics. You babbling fool. He's a soldier, yeah, in NATO. Um, the rest of his unit were, were killed by a werewolf. He survived, right? He then goes to a farmhouse in Montana and kills everyone there. So obviously he knows he's got a problem. So then he thinks to himself, well, obviously I'm some sort of werewolf or something. And he knows this because even though he tells the doctor on the ship, I'm getting blackouts and all that, he brings some bloody chains with him, yes. right? So he's killed this family on this farmhouse. He's obviously woken up strewn with the remnants of these fellas and thought to himself, well, obviously what I need to do is go on a singles cruise. Yeah. <laughs> and they talk about how many people can be held on the ship. Like it's, you know, we can get 8,000 people on here. That seems like a great idea. Yeah. 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 Guy's a fool. He's, he's, he's a fool. But yeah. this episode is quite fascinating in that um, it really speaks to why Kolchak is such a fascinating character to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has, on this episode, more than I think any other episode of the TV series, he has a group that is with him. Right. Yeah. So he, he enlists uh, the single woman that they they try to set him up with, and she seems pretty game, you know, to, to kind of run around with him and, and uh, cover for him and be a diversion. You've got... Mm. Um, his roommate and his girlfriend, uh, or friend who I don't know, ex-wife, ex-wife who they they keep yeah. on going to singles cruises and hooking up with each other, which is brilliant. Uh, and you've got the gopher, um, and then I guess a couple of the sailors, sort of um, towards the end, they're yeah, the, the, you... they're the authority figure that he bounces against for so much, but eventually they kind of come to see and understand that he's correct. The, the one thing I learned from this film, actually, by the way, uh, just to cut in there, is that um, this episode, rather not film, Paul, what are you talking about? Uh, if you go to work on a cruise liner, and instead of giving you a white uniform, they dress you in double denim, you are <laughs> dead. <laughs> That's like a red shirt on Star Trek. Double denim for a sailor is no good. Yeah, yeah. Well, fashion is, is one thing that... that this cruise line did not have going for it. Um, but Kolchak is a, um, he's inquisitive, right? This is a character who wants to find the truth in the matter. And mm. he is resourceful. He is charming. He is a liar. He, you know, he, mm. you know, he is, he immediately, he's essentially a con man, right? Like he's, oh, yeah. he's Darker. Columbo. Yeah. He's Columbo, but rather than being a, a detective, he's a reporter, you know, like you, I keep on waiting for him to go. And another thing, you know, just just one, just one more thing. You say you weren't there on the night of the full moon, but I I can't help but you know, like that kind of thing. By the way, uh, my wife is the one who came up with it. And I totally agree. If they were to remake this now, without Stuart oh, Townsend, good Brian Cranston from oh perfect would it just. He's perfect yeah. because yeah. he's also old enough to play the character, so you're not looking at him as like a sex symbol, you know. And, mm-hmm. and he, if he's if Brian Cranston's looking something to kind of kind of wash away the Breaking Bad, oh, I think that, he'd be perfect. Yeah, perfect. He's got the comedy chops and he's got the dramatic chops. Yeah, he, and have looks you like heard him. that they're, they're threatening. There's been a threat for a number of years now that Disney are going to make remake of or at least make a film 
of the series starring Johnny Depp. Yeah, they had Edgar Wright to direct for a little while. They did. I, I yeah. No. <laughs> nope. I no. think I don't think Johnny Depp uh I don't think after the failures that were um Lone Ranger, Dark Shadows, I you know, mm. it's like and there was one more that he did and it was Transcendence, but definitely Lone Ranger and Dark Shadows are these you know, franchises they think, Oh, you know what this really needs? Johnny Depp's magic touch. Because he's gold mm. right now, right? Yeah, this is this is not going to happen, and if it does, it's certainly not going to happen with Johnny Depp. Hopefully, I not, fu- I fully support Brian Cranston for the role. Yeah, Brian That's Cranston perfect. would be amazing. Mm. He would be amazing, and I, and I'll take Edgar Wright as the director. Uh, I certainly oh, yeah, think that he yeah. has the horror comedy chops. I think it's it, that's perfect. I'm not going to say that it. As as a werewolf fan, I'm not going to say that this was my favorite of the the episodes I watched of the, about the ten that I saw uh, over the last month. Um, but what is the second episode that you you uh, recommended to us? Uh, the second episode is one called uh, Chopper, which is actually the first episode I ever ever saw. This is one I stumbled in uh, drunken from antics on a Saturday night in the pub, <laughs> clutching a, a deadly kebab, uh, and this came on the telly. Um, it absolutely blew my mind because I'd never seen anything like this <laughs> in kind of a, in a series format. It was, uh, it's kind of like stumbling on, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like walking in on an average episode of the Twilight Zone. Okay. Uh, oh, this is inventive. This is good. I'm quite enjoying this, you know. And then finding out that the next week, there's another adventure with the same characters. Yes. That's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you, by the way. Um, but, yes, I, I became a little bit obsessed with it. And, like I say, this was in the ages. You could just set the video for a time and a channel. And, yeah, mainly I ended up with uh, the BBC of postponed Kolchak to put on some snooker. So I'd have like an hour of snooker to watch when I got in from the pub. This was the, this is the episode that hooked me because it's so far out there and it's so like nothing you've seen on TV before. No, yeah, is... <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you can you read gotta... a lot into that. <laughs> I mean, he's beheading people, which was terrifying at that time for TV because you know you didn't see things like that on TV. But like now, you got Walking Dead, and pretty much everybody mm. is sleepy hollow. And... Yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, that's well. That's pretty much what this episode, right? Was, yeah, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, it's Sleepy Hollow on motorbikes. Yeah, and uh, written by the two guys that um, made Back to the Future too. Yep, it was. Yep. It was Robert, Robert Zemeckis Zemeckis and first Bob Gale. First, uh-huh. uh, a f- first big big project. Well, based yeah. off of a script, they they came up with the script for it, and then someone else wrote the the. I had the original idea for the story, and then someone else wrote the script. But yeah, it's still impressive to see their name up there, and when I first hit play on this one, this is one I hadn't seen before. And mm. I saw Robert Zemeckis' name on there. I'm like, what have you got me into? <laughs> uh, and it's a, f- also, it's a fascinating the, episode. Yeah. M- most of these episodes of this series are rewritten by, don't remember his name, David Chase. Yeah. Who went on to create the Sopranos. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's right. I knew I'd seen that name before. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot of like, burgeoning talent involved in this show 
Uh, well, I mean, well, eventually, after we're talking about this one, I want to talk a little bit about The Horror of the Heights, which has Jimmy Sangster, uh, which wrote mm. it. And, you know, talk about, not burgeoning talent. This is the guy who, you know, he wrote The Mummy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is this is ancient talent. This is hammer horror kind of talent. <laughs> but but we're not on that one yet. Uh, so, so just run us through Choppers because, you know, for the listeners, Chopper could be just about anything, though we now know that it has beheadings. So tell us a little bit about this one. It, the, the story involves, um, uh, at the beginning we find out, uh, via the medium of Kolchak telling us, that uh, uh, a cemetery, uh, the the occupants of a cemetery, are being relocated uh, for a new development. And all these coffins are being shipped to this warehouse. And we see one of the coffins, a little canister, falls out of it. And all of a sudden, uh, some 80-year-old is woken up in the middle of the night by a motorbike that hasn't run for years, bursting out of her garage, uh, being ridden by a headless biker. Um, he, well, he, you can tell he's headless because there's no head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <And> <laughs> very broad shoulders. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a side effect. If, if someone cuts your head off, the side effect is you get a very tall torso yeah. and your shoulders <laughs> fall down to your tits. <laughs> I really feel bad for the stunt guy who had to drive <laughs> looking looking out of the chest cavity of a leather jacket. Yeah. Um that was not the best special effect and really looked dangerous. Oh god, yeah. Uh, basically this is a revenge story. Um uh 20 years before this takes place, uh, uh a couple of rival uh motorcycle gangs. Um were at war and they chopped this guy's head off and apparently and we're told this in the episode about the uh, executions of the French Revolution uh, if you bury the head separate from the body the body comes back to life and gets a bit killy um, <laughs> so you have to yeah you have to bury the head with the body otherwise um Motorcycle sword wheeling chop guys come at you. Katana wielding, which is really fascinating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was almost Highlander's sword. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like the ivory grip to it. I was like, mm-hmm. feel the stag. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> My name is Juan Gonzalez Ramirez, and I am an Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've never had a Connery off before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even prepared. I haven't got my face on or anything. Yeah, my wife walked. My wife walked through the other day, and she was like, "Oh my god, it's the dad on the Christmas story." I was like, "Yeah." I so I I am not a Christmas story fan. I've seen it once or twice. It was just my parents. I didn't grow up in a household that we did a lot of Christmas stuff. So that was just, and I didn't have a television growing up. So it was just wasn't a thing. Um, so the first time my wife was watching Kolchak, she's like, I, I know I've, his voice. I know his face. I can't figure out from where. And I IMDB searched it. Uh, I was in the living room. She was already in bed. And I just says, honey, he was the dad from the Christmas story. <laughs> she's like, son Fragile. of Son of a Fragile. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> first time I saw that was the first Christmas I moved out here. That is not a thing in Britain at all. Yeah. Oh, how about and that? And I mean, there are networks that show that 24 hours a day. 
of a Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. A Wonderful Life um, a popular UK Christmas movie? Yeah, I don't know why, because it's depressing as hell. <laughs> do, do you know, I mean, like, I don't want to take up too much time with the history of It's a Wonderful Life, but do you know the history of It's a Wonderful Life? No, no. It was a financial flop. It didn't do well. It wasn't well-reviewed. And so when it when the syndication rights became available, they sold for an incredibly small amount. And because they did, it was bought up by a number of different television stations to be to be played early morning Christmas time. But because it was so cheap, everyone got their hands on it. So it was sort of everywhere and it was always everywhere. And over the course of almost 30 years, it became a Christmas tradition. And it's not, it hasn't been since the last 30 years that it's become like considered this great, you know, we all remember it from our childhood, but Mm. um, it didn't start that way. It wasn't because it's a good film it's because it was a cheap film and it was just sort of it was a war of attrition uh, that it, it just sort of survived all these years because it was cheap to begin with it's a, I mean it's you know it's, it's not a bad movie I'm, I'm not you know slogging uh, it's a wonderful yeah. life but it is Capra, yeah he's a I mean, good it's, director it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a movie about suicide <laughs> yeah it is yeah it's it's depressing as hell yeah. Let's face it. This isn't—it's literally the last two minutes are uplifting. Yeah. The rest of it is a dirge. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas, also, we- movie house. <laughs> 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 that may have been a little Barney Fife. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we can start our Fife we, off. It, it's kind of—it's inspired us here because occasionally we, we eat human dog food. I mean Taco Bell. <laughs> and the the phrase we always say when we we eat Taco Bell is every time the Taco Bell rings, somebody gets the shits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did you find in here? Oh, Zuzu's petals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it's it's sort of like Montezuma's revenge. I got a bad case of Zuzu's petals. Uh, so. <laughs> All right. Right, I'm having that. Yeah. Next time, next time I'm unfortunately engaged in that sort of situation, I'm totally having that to lose pedals. I've got a bad case of Zuzu's pedals. Um, so we are we are still talking about Chopper, Chopper, Chopper. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to mention uh, the the uh, the guest cast in here, Larry Linville from Mash, who is in a few mm. of the episodes, I think, or he was at least in the pilot. Yeah, in this one, and then Jim Backus, that was Mister Magoo. <laughs> And uh, Thurston Howell the Third from Gilligan's Island, he was the car salesman. Really? Yeah, that was him. And at, if you look at the very end where there's the uh, the chalkboard with the names on it, mm. one of the names is Bacchus. Really? Mm. Oh, that's yeah, funny. I saw that. I was like, what the hell? Huh. Good eyes. <laughs> yeah, I recognized him, but I couldn't figure out from where. That's that's fascinating. I'm Bacchus, not... not um, the one from Mash wasn't a Mash washer, but um, this is an interesting story um, because we are given we don't know what's going on, right? Mm. Like there's there's a lot of subterfuge happening. This is very different from any of the other stories I saw, wherein that every other character other than um, Kolchak knows what's going on. 
Yeah. And they're slowly being killed off. And he doesn't get the story until he finds the last survivor. Right? So normally mm. he's the one that understands what's going on and he has to try to convince everybody else. This is everyone else knows what's going on and they're trying to keep the secret because they're implicit in a murder, essentially. Yeah. And uh, I found the idea that the gang, once they beheaded him, had dealt with this chopper beforehand. Like there's a that, whole other yeah. episode, there's a whole other adventure that I wanted to see. Which is why the head came in a convenient little can, right? Like, that, the, it, it makes no sense <clears throat> otherwise until the very end where they explain, oh, yeah, we beheaded him. He started killing us. We found the head, he w- which we were keeping as a souvenir, which is <laughs> very grim. Mm. Put the head back. Everything was fine until this happened. It is kind of unusual, isn't it? it it's There's, like you say, there's an entire other episode that we're not privy to. Mm-hmm. And and Kolchak isn't privy to it until like like you say the the, the very end of, uh, of the story, but it's it's <laughs> oh my god come on it's it's really weird and it, it it's <laughs> it's I can tell from experience uh, that it's not the sort of thing you want on a on a um. A slightly cloudy mind and, and a disastrous kebab on a Saturday night about half past one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not the sort of thing you could properly engage with. Um, I've, I've watched this episode a number of times, and the thing I always forget that little detail until it's revealed yeah. that they have fought. The, they actually had a whole thing, a supernatural adventure before, where. Studs, the clever one, as he said, yeah. um, figures out that you've got to bury the head with the body, otherwise they get a bit gilly. It, um, it's sort of like it, the first half of it, where you realize that you know this thing that's been haunting these guys as adults is something they dealt with well back in their dark past, and it makes you want to go back and find out their story rather than what's going exactly, on now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's it. It's like we're watching the boring half of it. When you really want to go back and see the kids bit. Yeah, yeah. And um, you've got the, I can't remember her name, but um, there's the wake scene where she's mm. she's getting really upset because of all the questions. And, and Kolchak is a very pushy guy. I feel like sometimes he he reads the room very well and sometimes he just doesn't, he doesn't get <laughs> but, get a clue. And But that, in, that entire scene is played for comedy. Right, it is. And it's, it's, it's even written for comedy. See, the, uh, the main, like, uh, um, Biker leader that that Kolchak goes to see is called um, Mr. Spake. Just entirely for the reason that Kolchak can go up to him and say, "Mr. Spake, can we speak?" Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. outright comedy. Where it, there shouldn't be comedy here. What's going on? But it works. Well, she's she has this like, kind of emotional outburst, you know that. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's very similar to like a Lucille Ball kind of uh, mm. a Ricky mm. Ricky. Mm. kind of cry and then it's not until he leaves you realize it was an act and you're like what the hell is going on with this story because you would think the main thrust of the narrative is there is a headless motorcycle greaser running around with a katana for some reason but there's actual mystery and intrigue in this episode that almost makes me feel that the biker is secondary you know it's this mystery of what happened 
in the past, which Kolchak has no idea. It's not like he's trying to uncover it. He's just trying to figure out a way to get rid of this chopper. Yeah, it, it, it's like it's almost like going back to your Columbo analogy. Kolchak's Columbo. Um, the headless biker is the murder victim, right? And uh, the rest of the gang are collectively Patrick McGoon. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, yeah, okay. That's probably the best response I could have expected for that. <laughs> All right, so uh, these are the two that you recommend. Um, is the werewolf or chopper, would you consider them, uh, either of those, your favorite episode of Colchak the Night Sucker? Probably the werewolf. Werewolf is your favorite? Uh, yeah, um, because of my disposition towards uh, lycanthropes. Mm-hmm. And all things involving um, those chaps. Uh, yeah, that's probably my favourite episode. Um, like I say, I, I, I haven't watched the last one. So that I've got one more to watch. Sure. Uh, which I believe is Aliens or something. Or maybe that's the one before. I can't remember now. Um, I'm saying nothing. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, if you want to get an idea of what Kolchak is, firstly... Watch the Night Stalker. Watch the the original TV movie. If you want to get an idea of the series, I think the werewolf is a pretty good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm throwing in um, Horror in the Heights uh, Mm. as Mm. as, uh, my my suggestion for uh, kind of what this show could be. There's some very fascinating aspects to it one of the things i love about this program is um it is a 50 minute format and essentially 40 minutes of the program is him it's kind of running through corridors you know someone gets killed he does some investigative work but not a lot of information is given it's a lot of character build-up there's a lot of chance for um kolchak to kind of mcgavin to show his chops um Mm. there's a lot of good humor and then usually in the last 15 minutes, he finds out how to kill the creature and either kills the creature or is privy to the death of the creature. Um, Which is another reason why I think our theory, well, I'm calling it our theory now, yeah. <laughs> uh, that this is all complete BS, is because Kolchak is ultimately a hero in, in practically every story. But he does so in a way that cannot be proven. It's unprovable. Yeah, uh, the the yeah. werewolf, you know, the yeah. werewolf. He shoots him with silver bullets. It doesn't work. He ends up tossing the werewolf off the side of the boat. Yes. Which, which, which you're, the idea is that the werewolf is wounded and is probably going to drown and his yeah. body will never be recovered. There's no way mm-hmm. to prove one way or another that uh, this has happened. You know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Did you ever get a chance to watch the 2005 remake uh, with Stuart Townsend? I did. I was... Um... I was eagerly awaiting it, actually, until I watched it, <laughs> and it. I honestly thought it, it was amazing how how much they completely missed at the entire appeal of the original culture. It was a complete misfire. It, I mean, they tried was it to too dark. They gave him a, a tragic backstory. Um, he was he was very dark as well. The whole series was 
set in pitch black. It was literally dark. I mean, he, he was driving uh, in the original, the little lemon yellow Mustang convertible, like 67 or whatever. Uh, he was driving in this one. It was a, it was a bright orange uh, 2005 Mustang. It, it, it just didn't get the appeal of the original series. There was no humour. And I, I, I've, I've watched them once. I don't wish to watch them again. The one thing I will give it credit for is there's a, a sequence when Stuart Townsend walks into his uh, uh, d- d- journalistic office or whatever, and they've CGI'd Darren McGavin in the foreground, sitting on a table, talking to someone. That is the only thing I will give it credit for. Huh. Other than that, hmm. it can bugger off. All right. Well, I'm going to look up that. Is that that's in the first episode? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to check that out just just cause. That'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> well, is there anything else uh, either of you want to add um, about the program in itself? It's really good. Go watch it. It should absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm. I think we're gonna we'll, we'll definitely have put a, a spoiler tag at the beginning here um so that folks you know aren't aren't if they're if they have never listened to it then listenly hopefully they went and watched a couple of episodes before coming in here i don't you know spoilers for a, a show that is essentially 45 years old is you know, seems like overkill but there's you're not ruining anything by knowing that you know Kolchak wins right like it's this is not a show about how they did it it is just sort of like a it's a it's not a destination it's a journey you stopped a vampire with a stake? Damn. Whoa. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Oh, man. Wait, you set the whole... But I would like to point out the number of times... Um, the one flaw in our theory is that um, Kolchak, if he is just making this up, it is possible that Kolchak is responsible for the murder of a number of people. Um because one of the things I don't don't I, don't do don't you dare invoke the Jessica Fletcher argument here. <laughs> no, not not the Jessica Fletcher argument. In the fact that uh, one of the things I admire most about the episode is it's not always a happy ending, especially in the movie mm. where the reason he you know we don't see another episode take place um, in Las Vegas is. He's wanted for murder in Las Vegas, right? Like, like he has to leave, skip town yeah. because of it. And in the uh, in the sequel, episode four, of the vampire, um, there is a very impressive uh, staking scene, uh, which could, which to all extended purposes, seems like he just murdered someone randomly on a hill in uh, in Chicago. True. Yeah. True. Oh, and they did replicate that in the X Files. Did they? There's an oh, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, there's an episode where you get um, both sides of Mulder and Scully's kind of um, report on what happened in an apparent town full of vampires. Oh, and it's either Mulder staked a vampire or he killed a kid. Oh, interesting. Mm. And there's a lot of holes in my X Files uh, watching that I'll have to. I'll have to find that one out. Well, Paul, before we let you go, um, how can folks find you online if in the fact they want to? I don't and- want them to find me. 
Christ. Oh, okay, then then uh, how do they <coughs> like not I... find you if you don't want them to find you? Hang on. How do they what? not not find you if you indeed not not want them to not find you? Oh, in that case, yeah. Oh, okay, now I get you. Um, uh, you can find uh, the Pharos Project uh, just by using the internet and typing in the Pharos Project podcast. Uh, if you want to find Hammer Torah, just type in Hammer Torah podcast. It's fairly simple. I'm surprised you even need to ask, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate here. Uh, oh, this is a good bit with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the biker gang that Studs was in when, when he gets head, head chopped off. <laughs> Bringing it all, all in a lovely, beautiful circle there. There you go. Mm. Well, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the program today. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I do apologize. <laughs> for what? For everything, you know, come on. Apology not accepted. Fool. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelhoo. Who and Company can now be found on iheartradio.com, or you can download the podcast directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany, or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. See you next month. Is that your yeah. ad bit? Is that yeah. how you do the ads? That's how we do our ads. Ridiculous. Yeah. Then yeah. <laughs> that's the the music. Bum 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 victim. We'll see. Paul, Paul, the out used to be. This I'm leaving. We decided not to go with that. Who in company? Who gives a shit? <laughs> um uh shut oh. up fun <laughs> speaking of noises um how about that soundtrack yeah the music was great there's a lot of uh a lot of strings in there too which coincidentally is another thing that no, scared the <laughs> out of me when i was a kid <laughs> to edit that part <laughs> scared the hell out of me when who I would was have a kid. thought that on this podcast it would have been brent who slipped up uh Dude. I've been so well behaved. You have Who been knew? very much. You get a cookie after this. All right. Um, <laughs> I don't want it. You can stuff your cookie up. Tootsie Fruitsie. Tootsie Fruitsie. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get a couple of ooh la <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, bleep that. Leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>